Coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I'm going back into the archives to bring you my most downloaded episode of all time, my first interview with Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. Jennifer teaches couples and individuals how to strengthen their relationships over relational and sexual roadblocks and increase their capacity for intimacy, love, sexual expression, and so much more. And we cover all of these topics and more coming up on The Virtual Couch. Okay, first, let me cover a tiny bit of business. Recently, I received a funny email. This is a true story. It said, hey, Tony, I love the podcast, especially the free therapy, but your podcast has led me to want to seek out my own therapy, and in this time of worldwide chaos and pandemic, I thought it only made sense to go through BetterHelp.com, but I no longer hear your BetterHelp.com ads. Did you guys break up? Okay, so this is a funny one. No, we did not break up. We aren't seeing other people right now, although admittedly, whenever I do hear a BetterHelp.com ad on another podcast, I do think, wait, doesn't BetterHelp.com still care about me? And yes, they do. You can still go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch and get 10% off of your first month's worth of services. And yes, doing so will help take care of some behind-the-scenes costs to produce and host the Virtual Couch podcast. So why haven't I been running BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch ads, you may ask? And here's where I love being an honest, raw, vulnerable therapist, key the dramatic music. Okay, we don't actually have that worked into the budget, but I, I get giddy recording and uh, getting these podcasts out the door, and sometimes I forget to pop an ad in for betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. Forget as in it has been many, many episodes, but they are still offering real one-on-one therapy with a licensed therapist, and betterhelp.com's network of therapists continues to grow, and you can find help for everything from anxiety, depression, OCD, as well as grief and loss, help with parenting challenges, and while it can honestly be darn near impossible to get in with an in person therapist right now because a the stigma behind therapy is finally softening so people are are running to therapy as well as b there's a lot going on in the world and people need help but betterhelp.com slash virtual couch can have you speaking or texting or emailing with a therapist sometimes within 24 to 48 hours so what are you waiting for they make it easy to change therapist if you don't like the fit so go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch today and join now the over 1 million others who have decided that they need to be their best selves in order to deal with all that life is throwing their way trust me life is throwing us a lot so you owe it to yourself your family your kids your spouse your pets, you name it. To be at the very least, take a look at what you can do to put you in a position to succeed in life. So go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch today and receive 10% off your first month's services. Okay, uh, let's virtual couch, shall we? that theme song grows on me when it was first submitted to me, sent over to me by a good friend who had put that together. I just wasn't sure, but uh, I just, I don't know, kind of get into it. And when it ends, I just want to take a big old breath and just, ah, here we go. I'm ready. So kind of skipping the intro because it's story time, a little bit of a vulnerability story. I actually recorded in episode 231 a couple of days ago, and it's Wednesday today, day after election day. And I normally release on Tuesday, but I just didn't like the episode that I recorded, and I sent it to a couple of people that are helping me out with things behind the scenes, and I said, please be honest, let me know, what do you think? And I was so grateful for their honesty and kind of said, yeah, one was maybe a little bit hard to follow. It was about accountability, and someday maybe I'll make that one of the hidden tracks, 
but it was based off of the acceptance and commitment therapy book, The Confidence Gap, which I absolutely love. And I feel like the message I believe in wholeheartedly, but I just didn't feel like I was delivering the goods. So I came in this morning, I was going to do one on marital entropy, which is kind of a very fascinating concept. And then it just kind of hit me that I am getting closer a couple of weeks away from a very big interview with one of my favorites, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. And I presented her and her team with some thoughts and theories that I came up with along with my friend Preston Pugmire while we were developing my uh, our magnetic marriage course. And I really think it's some things that I just saw come out the more we kind of beta tested the course in the differences between male and female, the differences in attachment styles between avoidant and anxious attachment, and the differences in love language from people who are maybe anxious attachment and physical touch or words of affirmation people, and how they typically end up in relationships with people that are more avoidant attachment and maybe acts of service or quality time people. And I just presented something to Jennifer and said, hey, let's talk through this. Let's figure this out. So that's a little bit of a sneak preview. That'll be coming up later this month. We're going to be recording fairly soon. So this morning I just came in and I just uh, had a little epiphany on my run this morning and just thought, man, I've never done bonus episodes or re-ran episodes of Jennifer's appearances on the virtual couch. And so when I looked at the stats this morning, this episode that I'm about to play, which was my initial episode 45, so almost 200 episodes ago, is still by far the most downloaded episode of the Virtual Couch Podcast. So I think that you're going to get a lot from this today. It's going to start setting the table for my Magnetic Marriage course, which, yes, I am going to promote the heck out of. So if you want to hear more, go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out more. We'll really start promoting the Magnetic marriage course in the next probably two to three weeks. And uh, we'll talk about the release date and a lot more details around that. And just while I have you yesterday, two podcasts were released that I was a guest on. One was the betrayed, the addicted and the expert with Kobe and Ashlyn and my good buddy, Brandon Patrick. And they had me come on and talk about narcissism. And that is a topic that I am passionate about. And so if you're a fan of that podcast, or if you've never heard that podcast, we went over an hour, it was a Facebook live at the time. And they released that episode yesterday. And I really do feel like we talked about some things that I've never really shared before about people um, coping with dealing with relationships with narcissistic personality disorder, people that have tendencies, narcissistic tendencies. And I talked about, um, and I've mentioned this in the past that I do have a group and it is ready to Go. I've mentioned this in the past, I know, but if for it's for women who may find themselves in uh, relationships with people with narcissistic tendencies, narcissistic personality disorder, if they're going through uh, marital challenges, a divorce, if they've already been through that and they're dealing with challenges through the trauma bond, can you please reach out to me at contact at tonyoverbay.com and I will I will give you some information about this group that is beginning and it's uh, completely anonymous behind the scenes, but I do would love for you to contact me and let me know if you're interested. And I was also on a podcast called the Millennium Member Podcast with Emily Enzyme. And she released that episode yesterday as well. And I'll put links to this in the show notes. But we we went deep into pornography and guilt and shame and how a lot of times well-meaning ecclesiastical leaders can kind of get in the way, bless their hearts of recovery when they are wanting people to recover a certain way. And if they don't particularly have experience in working with people that 
struggle with addiction, whether it's compulsive sexual behavior or impulse control disorder. So those two episodes that I was a guest on came out yesterday. Hey, and while we're here on the topic of pornography, I have re-released or updated the Pathback online pornography recovery program, Pathback 2.0. So just go stop by pathbackrecovery.com and there you'll still find a short ebook that talks about five common myths that people fall into when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. And I've started some weekly Q&A group calls, so you can find out more information there, pathbackrecovery.com. All right, so uh, as usual, please go stop by Instagram at Virtual Couch, and there's a lot more content there. Some quotes from previous episodes are going up on a regular basis, and I would love it if you had a second and you follow or you um, share this uh, episode with a friend or anything like that. But today we're going to talk about sexuality, sexuality and relationships, and I feel like I don't need to give any other further introduction. If you haven't heard of Jennifer Finlayson Fife, I think you're going to absolutely love her conversational style. And again, this is leading up to an episode that I can't wait to record, which will come up later this month. Okay, so without any further ado, let's get to my interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. I don't know, Zoom has that little feature that says, I don't know, it says like sharpen my appearance. Oh, okay. So I did it and it made me look like an anime character. Yeah, so I, I unchecked that box. So I, you know. <laughs> okay, am I sharpened or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah you look very sharp. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but not anime. <laughs> no, not anime. Not okay, anime good. sharp, but very sharp. Okay. All right. I want to welcome Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife to the virtual couch. Welcome, Jennifer. Yeah, thank you for having me. No, I'm really, I really am grateful that uh, you're willing to take the time. And and I was going to jump right out of the gate. This is, I know that I, I want your background. I want to get into a very solid interview, but I just had a client. I've been dropping your name for a little while. I'm not going to lie. If you would have had to cancel today, I would have just, I would have, you know, been racked with guilt and shame. But the last client that left, they just said, do you think that when people want to talk to her, because you specialize in sexuality and, and yes. sexuality, do you typically get the, hey, so my friend wanted me to ask you, is that the way most conversations start with you? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes at parties, that's how it goes, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have this my problem. My friend is having this issue, and what do you think about that? Right. Yeah, now, so. do, you, do you know right away that it is their issue? Um, it, sometimes, but not always. Sometimes it is a friend. You know, sometimes some friend is going through something, but, you know, sometimes you wonder if they're just you know, trying to, uh, cover that they have the question. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have to, I I so want to just launch into my next question, but I, we need your background first because it will make more sense to the question I want to ask. So, uh, talk a little bit about your background. So I have um, a PhD in counseling psychology and, um, I studied at BYU, uh, Brigham Young University. I did my undergrad in psychology and women's studies. And then As a grad student, um, I was asked to teach an undergrad course on human sexuality. And that was at the same time that I was trying to figure out a dissertation topic. And, you know, I could spend a lot of time talking about how I came to my topic, but I decided to write my dissertation on Mormon women and sexuality and looking at Mormon women's sense of agency in their lives, um, both premaritally and within marriage. And so that was the focus yeah. of my research. Okay. You had a funny story about the teaching the classes too. I, I heard on one of the yeah. podcasts. What was that? Yeah. So I was not yet married and I was asked to teach two courses. Uh, one was human sexuality and the other was drugs and alcohol. 
Okay. I was a Mormon who had no experience with either. <laughs> and which one? So yeah, you could. I, I ended up saying no to the drugs and alcohol one and just did the sexuality one. But uh, yeah, so it, you know, it opened up lots of questions. Look, I was teaching Catholic students because it was a Jesuit college. Okay. Colleges. So it was helping me sort of look at sexuality through the lens of Catholicism and then thinking about Mormonism as well as feminism, which I had studied a lot of. And so that led me to my topic, which okay, was a well, fascinating dissertation. Yeah, I bet. Well, and, okay, and, and I am maybe going to go a little bit out of order because I have to tell you, as I was dropping your name, so I had a, a woman who was sending me an email about one of the podcasts that she heard me on, and it was in particular about why is it so difficult to get men into counseling, which I'm sure we could talk about. Mm-hmm. And so, but she then said, I then I told her that you were coming on the podcast again, dropping the name, yeah. all I could, and I actually wrote this was her exact quote. She said. She said, I love, and that's all in caps. So she was screaming this, Jennifer. Her dissertation was fascinating. So I'm talking about your dissertation. And she has a great question I want to get to in a little bit. But I didn't realize, so you had worked with the Catholics. You've worked as well as with Mormon, because you're primarily focused with LDS women now. Is that? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then my question, and I don't want you to think that everything I'm going to say is going to be a joke today, but I do find that I, so I do a lot of couples therapy and Mm -hmm. I find that when I work with a, a pretty heavy LDS population as well, and kind of my joke is that with, with most couples, I see the sexual piece comes in usually in session one and the LDS couples, usually it's in session four or five and it's, mm-hmm. uh, they're walking out the door and it's, by the way, have you ever mm-hmm. heard of, do you find that to be the case or when people know that's what you specialize in, do they come in ready? I mean, one thing I would say is that uh, many times it is men, I would say probably 50% of the time it's men reaching out for therapy mm. to me okay. for couples therapy. around sexual issues okay so you know men do initiate counseling but often sex is what gets them through the door (laughs) well i love that because that does make more sense i mean i'm usually getting uh women will initiate with me because i'm a male therapist and so the the guy will only go to a man therapist if i think that if she's saying you know you don't communicate so i've never thought of that though so for you you have the specialty of you know working with sex issues around sexuality Yes. So, so okay, we can go in a whole direction. So when men then come in, is it almost like, hey, tell her, tell her she needs to have more, you know, more sex with me. (laughs) Yeah, that's often people's position. Would you please fix her? (laughs) Yes. She is broken. And maybe you as a Mormon woman can enlighten her about how to claim her sexuality. Wow. There is some legitimacy to that design on his part. But oftentimes what it uh, masks or doesn't isn't exposed yet within their own minds is their own participation in and role in the sexual dysfunction. Okay. So how do you address that? This is, I love that you're getting here because one of the things I hope to get to is this view that I get where I have a, a man coming in and letting me know in front of her that, Hey, Hey man, you know, I came into counseling, male therapist. Now tell her that if we just had more sex, I'm a better husband, father, employee, church servant, all of those yeah. things. Which right. is a very typical script, which is Absolutely. basically do your duty and then I'll be a nicer guy. Right. And so then that's the part where now I almost feel like it's okay. I'll let him get through the speech and that sort of thing. And then it's okay to the wife and what's going on with you right now. And then she feels, okay, I, I, yeah, it's all on me. So if he is yeah, not, it's all on her yeah. and he's also setting up the marriage dynamic to be about mercy sex as opposed to intimate sex. I love it. Yes. Okay. Right. So he's setting up the very thing that he then complains about, which is she just does it mechanically. She just does it because she feels like she should, but where's all the passion 
But when you set it up that sex is a drive or a need and you woman, if you're a good woman, give it to me. Yeah. Now set up the thing that you then makes you miserable because you never feel wanted. Absolutely. Okay. And I apologize. And this probably isn't the typical interview, but I work, I work so much with them, that male component. Yeah. And, uh, and at that point, then I try to introduce the concept of objectification or at that point she feels like an object. And then, and that's, yeah, like you say, that script is that if we only had more sex, yeah. And then that I, I like the I always feel like then the guy turns into it's if I am angry enough or if I am I don't know almost sad enough or down enough then I will maybe get sex. Yeah. And now fast forward later on in couples therapy where that's not the person that she you know says that's the guy I want to be intimate with is the no, guy that's the pity and guilt my way into it and yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Very undesirable. Yeah. And then, and then he's scratching his head about why doesn't she desire me? (laughs) Oh, okay. And all right, you, you fix it. All right. What do you do with that, Jennifer? (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, I guess what I would say is there's often at least two, maybe three things going on there. Um, first of all, it's often a co-construction. It's not just the man is pressuring this idea that if you take care of my sexual needs, I'll be a much nicer guy. Mm. And, um, it's also that women, first of all, it's a cultural artifact. And so women have bought into this frame too. And when women, um, who can often have a lot of anxiety about their sexuality, given the way that we, um, shame sexuality culturally, and make it a difficult thing for women not uh, to integrate, men as well, but in a different way. And so it's often a way for women to not develop themselves as people and as sexual beings is to use the same frame that they're being handed, which is do me a favor and have sex with me. Okay. And so it's a way of not being intimate. It's a way of not being as exposed if you're just taking care of your husband, yeah. being that virtuous self-sacrificing wife by putting up with his hedonism, you know? Yeah. Until finally, yeah. yeah. So it's a way for the woman to also hide. It's, it's a way for men and women to hide, which is just take care of me this way. She will give him the mercy sex, but no one really is showing up. It's not very intimate on either side. Yeah. A lot of times both parties in a marriage want lower exposure marriages. They want lower exposure sex. And so couples are good at having sex without being very intimate. Yeah. And this is a way to do it. Um, so um, I, I know that you asked me the question. And I said there's three things and now I can't remember what the question was. Oh, I can't either. So we're on the same page. It's fantastic. No, because then, and so then I, I just, I love that because that is the dynamic I, I, I see as well. And um, I feel like a couple, so now here I'll lay out, I have three thoughts and I bet I'll only get to one as well. Right. So yeah. I, my first thought was that it's that what I like to do is then if the, if the woman felt like that wasn't all he cared about, I mean, because I get this concept or maybe I wonder if you see this where she doesn't want to hug him close. She doesn't want to kiss him. She doesn't want to lay in his lap while they're watching a movie because then he's sizing up the moment to say, okay, looks like I got a good shot tonight. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so then, and I find that then at some point, then couples just, I had a woman say that she won't even look at her husband when they're at the dinner table because mm-hmm. she feels I like want to he, get many ideas. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so, and then, Oh, I do remember my second one. So do you feel like this concept of intimacy then is when you're trying to sell that to your clients, do you feel at times that they don't even know what that looks like, but we're trying to sell this idea that they don't even, 
they're, they're like, okay, sure, fine. But just tell her to have more sex with me. That's, that's, well, you know. I, I think people often don't know what it looks like, but they do know what I mean when I'm talking about hiding and avoidance. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's like, maybe they haven't thought about it, but people do know how to manage how much of themselves they show to mm-hmm. another person. And they can usually see that they are masking or managing what of themselves shows up in their relationship, whether that's at the dinner table or in bed. So I think that, um, yeah, people are good at keeping relationships at the level that they know how to handle the level of exposure, even though they have maybe never experienced what it is to really have an open hearted, more um, intimate marriage. Okay. And so I want to go back even to, okay, I do have to interject one more quick question too. I know on your website, you work on, you you work with spirituality, women's issues, parenting, depression, couples issues. Do you feel, it, what's the percentage of your work that is around sexual issues? Is that the bulk of it? It is. I mean, I put all that on my website kind of when I first started. And I mean, I do deal with all those issues. It's absolutely no question. I would say relationship uh, issues and sexuality issues is really primarily what my focus is. Okay. But it touches on all those things. Sure. I mean, you know, going back to, I think the question you asked me earlier, when that couple comes in and he's complaining about that, I mean, what my strategy is often is is, is to basically understand why she doesn't desire. I'm going to do it in the stereotypical way right now, which is the low desire woman and the higher desire man. And so why does she not desire him? And, and oftentimes there, there's two things, two broad categories to think about. One is the issue of her self and sexual development. Yeah. Okay. That's also true for the men. I just specialize a lot in working with Mormon women and their own uh, relationship to desire to sexuality, to self-development, because I think culturally we are pretty compromising of women in Mm. this way. And so that's often a factor is that women in their effort to be good women, desirable women, have sort of suppressed a fundamental part of being a woman and a fundamental part of being human. So that's sometimes a factor. You have people that are sexually immature and it sounds insulting when I say it that way, but I mean it in a literal developmental sense that there isn't a deep integration of their sexuality that's happened yet. So that's often a piece that's going on. And then there is the issue of what's going on in the relationship. Now, some people who haven't developed themselves sexually very much and don't want to, they can do things in the relationship to basically shame his sexuality to basically never offer him desire, to never really validate who he is as a person as a way of keeping control, keeping him coming towards her for validation Mm. and her having a sense of control in the marriage so she doesn't have to really develop who she is. Sure. Oh, Do you feel like that's typically subconscious, not something that she's even aware she's doing? Well, I hesitate to use the word subconscious because... I, I, it's not just happening to you. Yeah. It's purposeful action, but that's very different than saying it's premeditated. Sure. Okay. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Purposeful. You know how to do it. You know, for example, in one case, like she's doing what her mother did. Her mother would never offer her dad acceptance, love, physical validation. The mother ran the family out of her kind of contempt and, and, um, judgment. 
Okay. And then the daughter, who's now an adult, did this, has done the same thing in the marriage. Okay. So the husband's always sort of feeling that he's ostracized, that he can't ever get her approval or acceptance, but she gives enough to kind of keep him tethered to okay. her. Yeah. So, so that's one version of it. In other cases, you know, there's the man who is like, you owe it to me. I'm the man. I do everything. Uh, you know, what's your problem? Yeah. And so she will kind of manage him through being sexual, trying to keep his criticism and his anger and aggression at bay. Okay. But it's not about desire. It's about manage. So she may even be sexual quite a bit, but that's very different than she's really someone who is, integrated with her sexuality and is really expressing love to him through her body. Okay. Very different. So oh. I'm, I'm usually looking at both the level of sexual development in both people. Okay. And how integrated they are with their sexuality. And then I'm looking at what is the dynamic of this marriage and, and what is happening that sexual desire is not likely here. Okay. And so, and I do want to tap into what your, your expertise is. So in that moment, do you continue doing couples work or is that where you need to kind of step back and explore with the the woman, her, her relationship with sexuality? I, I usually just keep doing couples work, even if she's working on some of these things, um, you know, within the context of couples work, sometimes I'll do individual sessions and oftentimes I'll have people do my online course for LDS. Okay. Right? Yeah. We're not yes. talking a lot about that. The, um, the, the art of desire. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that really, but, but so much of the work of sexual development, which is also in this course is around your relationship to your own sense of self, your relationship to desire in your life, generally your development as a person to who is capable of really loving and being loved is capable of really knowing and being known Okay. and how your development of sexuality is integral to that process of becoming a whole woman, a whole person. Yeah. So it is teaching women about women's sexuality, which is an amazing women's sexuality is amazing. Really. I mean, I think our culture does it short shrift in, in a crazy way because yeah. we reference male sexuality to understand female sexuality. Uh-huh. And so we, Female sexuality looks broken by comparison because it's different than men's sexuality. But so part of the course is helping women and part of the work I do with women is helping them understand what women's sexuality is really about. But my, the course is not so much about helping women become sexually competent so that they can, you know, help their poor husband. Right. Yeah. right? It's really about how to be more integrated with yourself to be more of a whole solid human being who can be a force for good in your life, in your marriage, with your children, you know, whatever capacity. And that is fundamental aspect of that is being integrated with your desires and your sexual nature. So where do you mind stepping back and then take the the LDS woman and maybe from the time, can you kind of work that through linear from the time they are young this is the story we hear. And so here's where, is it the shame or the guilt that kind of drives the narrative? And then all of a sudden now we're married and Hey, there you go. You know? And then, so yeah. Yes. I think for both LDS men and women, there is a narrative that sex is Satan's pathway Mm. and that sex will take you down. And so there's a, there's a deep anxiety and this is not just, just specific to Mormonism. I mean, okay. cultural anxiety around sexuality for a good reason, which is because sexuality is a very intimate and powerful way to be in connection with other people. 
But oftentimes the way that anxiety around sexuality gets handled, and particularly because in our faith we have a, you know, a fairly restrictive set of norms around how we should handle our sexuality. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes how we, how we teach that, given that we have high expectations around sexual behavior, is to frighten people around their sexuality. Sure. Okay? Okay. It's fear-based teaching rather than goal-based teaching. And so when you're fear-based, then there is this anxiety that sex will take you down Sex will turn you into a bad person. You know, sex will distance you from God and from the people that you love. And what we do, we teach men and women, both both men and women get taught that idea. But I think the difference between men and women is that we teach women that sex is something, sexuality, sorry, men are naturally sexual, women are not. That's the, that's what we teach, or that's the narrative. That's that's the narrative. That's the message within the message is that women are sexual only to accommodate and manage the sexuality and sexual nature of men. Okay. So men are naturally sexual. And so women should therefore, you know, dress modestly, you know, cover their bodies up because men's sexuality is present and normal for being Mm -hmm. a man. But if you tempt them, that not only is it dangerous for you, it's dangerous for them. Yeah. So we, it, they're implicit in that idea is that sex is something you give a man. Virginity is something you give a man, but men are the sexual actors. Okay. Women are in response to this. So many Mormon women that I work with, what they do is they, because they, they see sexuality as something that makes you bad and particularly so for women. For example, many of the women I re, that I... Oh, my first ever frozen podcast. I'm going to hang on here for a second and hopefully Jennifer will come right back. This is a first on the virtual couch. If she doesn't bounce back, I will pause the video. Let me pause that right now. There, sorry about that. Okay. I lost internet. That was my, my problem. No problem. The kids were playing Fortnite. Is that what it was? No, <laughs> no my husband thought I was on the, on the big computer. And so he oh. did something with Wi-Fi network, not knowing that I was on my laptop. Oh, anyway, okay. Laptop, I'm so, so glad you're back. No, that was so, that, okay, good. All right. So we were, you, you were remember just, what I was just saying? You were about to solve everyone's problems around sexuality. <laughs> In the entire world, you're about to give this. No, so it was kind of talking about that where women are, you were talking about how they give the sexuality, they give their virginity. That, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I think what I was saying was, I'll just start. So I think, you know, for example, women in my research felt um, more guilty if they had engaged in some, you know, behavior premaritally mm. than meaning they thought it was more acceptable if a man had done the same thing. And so that is the idea that women are worse if they are sexual. So what many women in my research and in my office clinically have done is they just shut this whole enterprise down. Like if this is going to make me undesirable, which is an idea that we teach, and if this is going to make Satan have some grip on me, I just won't develop this at all. I'll wait till I get married and then my husband will awake this, awaken this whole part of me. Okay. And he will teach me about how to be sexual because men are naturally sexual. And so what happens, of course, is people get married and then they're waiting in a sort of passive stance for something to be awoken within them. And it never works that way. 
Right. Okay. So what's your, then what's your advice? And it is funny. The one I was telling this, she's, she wants to become, she wants to be the next you, the student that was emailing me this morning that wants to be a LDS female sex therapist, which I love that. And I, she talked about, or the question was around how do LDS women prepare for their sexual lives in marriage? And she said, because I have so many friends that have gotten married, struggled in their sex lives because they either felt bad about having sex or they didn't know their body as well. So, yes, so I think, I think we have to really reconsider how we teach men, young men and young women in the church or okay. an earlier age, how we teach our children about sexuality. Because if we do it in the frame that sex is inherently dangerous and bad, you are going to have all the problems you see in adulthood in the church now, which is issues with pornography and issues with sexual repression. Okay. Because we, we, what we need to do is to talk to boys and girls and men and women about sex as though sexuality is a fundamental part of being human. It's God-given Yeah. that our parents in heaven are embodied just as we are and that sexuality is not good or bad. It just is. It's just fundamental to being embodied. Mm. What you do with your sexuality will determine whether or not sex is good or bad. Okay. What you do with your sexuality matters because what your choices have make a difference. They impact both you and they impact others, whether those are choices of indulgent behavior or repressive behavior. Okay. Right. Repressing your sexuality is bad for your psychological and sexual and spiritual development, in my opinion. Because that leads pure, to... Pure yeah. repression is. Okay. Pure repression is because you're basically suppressing a fundamental part of being embodied. And we, in our faith, believe that embodiment is fundamental to our spiritual development. Yeah. If you're really going to love and be loved deeply in marriage, which is the gift of marriage, right? Yes, yes. You have to be able to really be integrated with your body, meaning to, to, to love and be loved and to be able to love through your whole body. That's probably like the, the, the most wonderful part of life is to be fully accepted by what someone and to be fully accepting of them. But if you can't really be at peace with your whole body, your sexuality included, you cannot know that kind of peace, both with yourself or with another person. Mm. And so we are teaching sexuality in a way that makes it impossible to be at peace because we teach men also that sexuality is fundamental to being male or masculine, but that it's dangerous, you know, that it's, it's something that will take you down and it's, it's a privilege on some level. It's a privilege of, of marriage. We teach men that idea. So that's why you get a lot of entitlement in men once they get married, but also it's something that you do to a woman. Okay. Right. It's not yeah. something that you really share that it's about how can we be together and be sexual and enjoy each other. It's, and so when you have it in the frame of it's something you do to another person, well, it fosters either entitlement or in men, it can foster a sense of anxiety because at least more sensitive men don't want to be inflicting their sexuality onto their spouse all the time. Sure. And so a lot of times it creates more anxiety and fear around sexuality for many men. So what, what's your, when you talk about we need to do a better job younger in teaching that, how, what does that yeah. look like? In the... 
Well, I, I think you need to, from the very, first of all, you have to deal with your anxieties about sexuality as a ah. person and as a parent, because your anxieties, your kids will track them and pick up on them, whether or not you want them to. Sure. And so you, it's going to include doing some work around the false traditions or messages that you've internalized around sexuality. But I think what it is, is a basic embracing and celebration of the body from a very young age. So that you're not, you know, afraid of your child's nudity. Yeah. You're not showing shame or I can't believe you're go get something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times kids are going to touch themselves when they're very young and be exploring their bodies. This is a hundred percent normal. Yeah. You know, because your child is just trying to understand where they end and the world begins. They want to kind of know who they are. And of course, areas of their body that give them pleasure are going to be interesting to them. And yeah. that does not mean they're soon to be a pervert. It just means they're human. Okay. Oh, yeah. and so to be very normalizing of this is very important because you're giving your child a message that the body is good. And uh, well, I like your, I like your concept too, around dealing with our own issues, because I, I went and spoke to a school recently of how to talk to your kids about sex. And I felt like there were a lot of people there that were just so you could see the just yeah. anxiety and, and nervousness on their yes. face. And, and it was like, okay, we're coming here. We got to just, we're, we're got to get like serious and angry and battle yeah. ready. And yeah. right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. So I think absolutely. We, we have a hard time seeing our children as sexual beings or accepting that they are, uh, if we want to control them, if we're afraid of what they might do with their sexuality. And so many of us almost instinctively want to shame it out of them. Yeah. But I promise you, you will create many more troubles for them and you if you do that to your children. Because yeah. when it's put in a frame of shame, you, you inhibit your child from being able to integrate this with their sense of self and be able to make clear-headed choices with their sexuality. Okay. For example, the more women were shamed, there's some research on the, and the less educated they were about their sexuality as adolescents, the more likely they were to have sex and not good sex, right? Sex where they felt exploited, sex where they felt, you know, taken off guard, sex where they were more likely to get pregnant because they, they had no opportunity to kind of integrate it enough with their sense of self to be able to proactively make decisions. And that's, I think that is that the, the biggest takeaway is the, so the more it is shamed, the more it's repressed, the more guilt that is around it, then the more, are you saying then the more active that someone is, or, or they have an unhealthy relationship with sex? Yeah. The more unhealthy there's their, their relationship to sexuality is whether it's through indulgence, if you want to use that word or through repression. Okay. So it's like you, you know, it's a little bit like, and sometimes I use a food metaphor, which is if you basically, you know, the, the desire to have food is normal. Yeah. The desire to have sugar is even normal because from a um, survival um, perspective, sugar is the surefire way for the body to get the calories it needs to yeah. stay alive. Quick energy, right? Okay. Right. But if you tell people that, you know, if you tell someone that eating sugar is bad, even wanting it is bad, if you want brownies, it means you're bad. What you are going to do is either create an anorexic or a bulimic. You're going to either create someone who just says, I will, I will not let myself have any pleasure. Okay. Or you have someone who's trying to not want it, but become obsessed with it because it's not allowed. And so they will be excessive. Either position is bad for the psychological and, you know, physical development of a human being in, in the food metaphor. 
So yeah. first of all, I love brownies, but then you also were going to that. That's what I was, uh, I loved in one of the podcasts, you talked about the the candy store analogy with with regard to pornography and sexuality. Do you mind sharing that? Sure. And I, and I don't know if I exactly remember how I talked about that's that, okay. but I think, but I think the idea is basically it's normal for adolescents to be drawn, to be curious about sexuality, to be curious about, um, nudity. Mm. You know, I sometimes tell the story like my dad had a book on his top of his bookshelf called The Naked Communist. Oh, wow. And, and, <laughs> and The Naked Communist is a Leon Skousen book. It, it's like, it's, it's like a political philosophy. Yes. And the thing about nudity. Yeah. But I scaled my father's bookshelf <laughs> to get that book and was disappointed to see there were no naked communists in it. Okay. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's normal behavior. I mean, yes. you know, you're curious, you're trying to understand sexuality. So if you shame that, okay, if you say that the fact that you have sexual feelings or you're curious or you want to see a naked woman or whatever, that there's something wrong with you, First of all, you're being dishonest with your child yeah. and you're shaming something that's normal and necessary for becoming capable of sexual intimacy in an integrated way down the road. Yeah. So you want to normalize it. Because, and I think the candy store metaphor I used is, you know, like porn is everywhere. Okay. It's just, it just pornographic images are everywhere. It's the culture that we live in. If you make it forbidden, you increase its desirability. Yes. Yeah. And so I can't remember how I referenced the candy store exactly, but I think what I'm saying is the same idea that if you basically say you can't have it, you can't have it, you're going to forge an obsession with eating candy. Yes. You know, I had a client who, not a client, a friend who um, would throw herself in front of the magazine racks in the grocery store line so that her kids who were three and five would not see the bare you know, or the low cut dresses and the bikinis and so on of the women in the magazines. And because she was so terrified of her kids becoming porn addicts. Yeah. And I said to her, you are making, you are turning them into porn addicts because you are, you are meshing both fear and the forbidden together. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so it's like this anxiety and then this curiosity and what is mom so afraid of? It just, it like drives a kind of obsessiveness. Rather than, eh, yeah, it's normal. You know, people sell stuff. You know, if they try to sell stuff by showing more of their bodies, like, isn't that silly? Okay. And, and, yes. And just kind of normal, allow your kids to make sense of it. Allow them to see that you're not terrified of it, that you yourself are comfortable with a better version of sexuality than that kind of uh, objectifying or commodifying of sexuality. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're role modeling a kind of moderation and clarity that is really needed to navigate through a very sexualized world. And, and then one of my big soapboxes, and I love you tied in there, is I, I say that uh, parents always say, you can come and talk to me about anything. But then if you come and say, hey, how about that sex? And then they're like, we don't talk about that. And so yeah. now the teen or the youth is, they have to, they know now I need to control the flow of information. Which yes, then, definitely. Right. And so yeah, kids are always tracking. Can yeah. my parent really handle this conversation? Yeah. So I want that conversation about, Hey, so I, when I remember when we had the talk with the, our kids, my oldest after when I proudest dad moment is she circles back around at a store a few days after we yeah. had the talk. And then when she sees the, the, whatever the, the magazine and there's a teenage girl and she's uh, some star and she's pregnant. And my daughter saying, she's like, before I thought, 
I, I don't understand. She's not married and she's right. pregnant. How does that work? And I just love the fact that then she, we, we talked about it then. Right. Or before, exactly. I don't want that. She's trying to figure out the world and she's, I can't ask mom or dad because right. they lip, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when they see that you can really handle it and that you, you know things, you know, mm-hmm. um, they will use you as a resource. They really will. And then there is also a certain point, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, my 15 year old, I was talking to my husband in front of my 15 year old the other day. And I, I was saying something like, you know, someone wrote an email and they were asking, you know, how do you talk to your kids about masturbation? And my 15 year old was there and he's like, you don't. Ah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain point at which they no longer want you talking to them. And so, you know, the prime age to really download information and your values and so on is about age eight to about age 12. Perfect. Okay. And, you know, you know, it's not that you can't still mentor or talk about or be aware, but they're less open as they get older. I love that. This was going to be my last question, but I've got another one that I want to ask after this one. But I was going to say with the three kids as a therapist myself, and we all share a cloud, Kindle cloud. And I think they see all the, you know, pornography addiction, recovery, that sort of thing. So any family night, I almost feel like they're all ready to say, are we talking pornography again tonight? And uh, like, no, 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 we're okay. No. But since you mentioned it, and then Leo, it's, what have you seen? What's the last thing you saw? So I do, I, and I don't know if this one's going to be too ambiguous of a question, but so what I do see a lot, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are, when there are some women who have, they have been, it was never talked about when in their home, and it was probably heavily guilted and shamed. And so then they get in a marriage and it's so the, just the husband, I work with a lot of men and sometimes it is because now they turn to addiction. They turn to pornography um, as a coping mechanism or whatever, that sort of thing. But it's because they just, they're they're They feel like their wife just has zero interest in sexuality and to the point where she doesn't even want to talk about it. Right. And so do you have some thoughts on that? I mean, I think that is, can be true that people who have a lot of it, and, and I would say both the man and the woman in this example have anxiety about sexuality. It's Absolutely. just getting handled in different ways. Yeah. And yeah, what, what advice? I guess what I would say is that, yeah, I mean, one of my big messages is trying to just normalize. I don't know, normalize is quite the right word. The just even talk that, about it, I wonder. You know? Sexuality is so fundamental to being human and so fundamental to having a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that's different about marriage than any other relationship is it's both chosen and that it is a sexual contract. And that's not me saying you have to have sex with your spouse. I'm saying that the understanding, and unless there's some explicit other agreement is that when you get married, that there's this idea that we are bringing our sexuality to one another. Uh And then what happens is because this is higher anxiety or there's things that are not working or there's things that are being exposed through the, the sexual relationship or the lack of it that are, is overwhelming for the couple that oftentimes they will handle it by not handling it. They will just try to distance from it. And so um, and then what often can happen for the man in this particular kind of scenario is that he feels like if I bring it up, she gets really upset. She gets yeah. really distressed. I just better stop bringing it up. And she maybe thinks, well, he's not bringing it up. So maybe right. he's good. Yeah. You're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or he brings it up and she says, this is all you ever think about. Yes. You know, why are you such a natural man? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> as opposed to, 
you know, really um, being willing to address and deal with how corrosive it is in the marriage that the sexual sexual relationship is not really being dealt with. Sometimes it's about the woman's repression, but sometimes she's also getting really bad sex. I mean, she doesn't necessarily understand enough what she wants to know how to ask for better sex. Sometimes she does know what she wants, but her husband is not that interested in learning about her or knowing what to, or willing to really give her what she wants. Um, you know, many couples kind of co-construct the sexually broken woman because the man prefers that idea. Yeah. That, you know, in, in a sense, I know it sounds strange, but he prefers that you're broken and you just sort of accommodate me than that she could really access her sexual sure. capacity and interest, right? Yeah. So, you know, for people to really address why, why does sex not work for us? You know, I asked somebody today, why do you think your wife doesn't desire you? How do you make sense of that? And, you know, I had been giving him lots of data about how he's not trustworthy, how he does self-serve so much in the marriage, how he basically mind twists her around things. Okay. He doesn't, he's sort of acknowledging I'm right about that, but doesn't really want to acknowledge. So when I said, you know, how do you make sense of it? He spent all of his energy talking about how she's broken, not about how he functions like somebody that a woman with good judgment would not desire. Okay. Right. So it's often very hard. We want to just say, what's the matter with you that you don't want me, you loser? Rather than how do I make it hard for someone to want to really be close to me, open up to me, bear her soul to me. A lot of times we don't want to deal with who we really are. Mm, Okay. I love that because you do a lot of couples work. I do a lot, a lot, a lot of couples work and that really does boil down to that empathy and awareness and understanding. And I need to take my fixing and judgment hat off and yeah. I need to understand where my partner's coming from. And that's more important to me than can't we just have more sex? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. right exactly. And kind of, you know, because what's often happening in couples is the meanings that are happening around their marriage and their sexual relationship is what's killing desire. Mm. You know, he doesn't even notice if I'm here, meaning, okay, maybe I don't want to touch him or hug him because then he'll take it as a signal that I want to have sex. But what she's also saying is I don't want to touch him and hug him because he has say it. He will bulldoze then he doesn't track or he, he refuses. He does track, but he refuses to acknowledge that I'm not continuing to give signals that I want it. So he takes it as like, okay, I've gotten, the bit of data that I can now yeah. justify myself. Oh, yeah. Now we're yeah. on, right? Now we're on. I can justify myself. And she knows he doesn't even care that I'm not here. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. And we want that. That's not being present. That's like, uh, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And maybe a little bit darker version of it is it's, it's that I don't care if you're here, I feel entitled yeah, to sex and I'm going to have it with yeah. you. And yeah. I can use the fact that you made eyes at me at dinner to justify moving forward or going blind to the fact that you are not present and don't want it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hey, any other kind of final thoughts? There's a couple other, I feel like I got a couple other deep dive topics. Maybe I could uh, touch base with you again uh, down the road. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No problem. Yeah. I don't know if I have other thoughts other than um, I think what I maybe would say is that working out what's not working in your sexual relationship is, um, fundamental to developing as people and to developing into people more capable of love and spirituality. So one of the things that's really amazing about our theology is that we really do 
believe that the body is fundamental to our spiritual development. But then around sex, we sort of forget that idea. Yeah. Rather than really confronting who you are as a person, who you are in your own development, who you are in your relationship is really fundamental to becoming someone more capable of really loving and caring for another person and being cared for. And and I like what you said earlier, if you can't tap into that, then how do we expect to have this ultimately connected marriage and relationship and a different view of intimacy and and, and living happily ever after, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. so what, what are the, what are the courses that you recommend? You have some nice online programs. I think yes. that would be great. Sure. So I have the one I referenced, the art of desire, which is a, a course for, um, sexual, for women's self and sexual development, LDS women's self and sexual development. Then I have two couples courses. One is called strengthening your relationship, which really helps you look at the dynamics of your relationship, what's happening and how you can develop skills and capacities to to forge a better relationship. And then I have a couple sexual intimacy course. It's called Enhancing Sexual Intimacy. And I really help people to understand the way I think about sexuality, the way I think about sexual development, and then what's happening in this partnership that sexual desire breaks down or sexual connection breaks down and how you can create something deeper, more meaningful, and more inclusive of the female because many of us are trying to operate under a very male model. Yeah. Um, And then I do a, how to talk to your LDS kids about sex course. I love that. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that when I was looking on your website. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I'm really trying to help parents teach their children sexual integrity and by that an integration of their body, but also an integration with their morality and what it is they want to create through their sexuality and through sexual, um, decision-making, you know, that is to say what you don't do is as much as important as what you do choose around your sexuality to forge the kind of um, ability to be in an intimate relationship down the road. Okay. So I forgot. Okay. You you spent time in um, Massachusetts. I did. Yeah. That's where I got my PhD. So I know those stomping grounds. Well, I just want to hear, can you do a nice Boston accent? Oh gosh. Let's see. (laughs) I'm trying to remember. Uh, you know, they drop their R's and they put them where they don't belong. But see, I wasn't in South Boston very much, so I don't have that. It's, I'm not as fluent in the South Boston accent. <laughs> okay. I just, I, I used to, in my previous life, I was in technology. We, we did a computer trade show in Boston all the time. Yeah. And after a few days yeah. there, I'm, you know, everything's wicked, wicked cool and pocking my car. And, you know, I love so wicked. I grew up in Vermont. So wicked was, you know, just the basic word of <laughs> normal. Mm-hmm. Hey, I, I really enjoyed this. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Sure, um, my pleasure. Yeah. yeah, this was fantastic. So uh, hopefully we can catch up again down the road. Okay, good. Thanks, Tony. Okay. No, thank you so much. Compressed emotions flying past our heads